This podcast is brought to you by Rajane Weininger, the author of a new Shambhala press book entitled Heartwork, The Path of Self-Compassion. Please listen to the interview with Rajane on podcast number 636. In Greg's interview with Rajane, they speak about her personal story and how it led to her being so interested in the Buddhist practices and to form her own personal practices of deep meditation. They also speak about many of the nine practices of opening up the heart to heal deep personal emotional wounds. Rajane has filled heart work, the path of self-compassion, with amazing stories of her patients and provides the readers with opportunities for reflection questions to journal about. Please join Greg and Rajane in this wonderful interview about mindfulness and meditation as they journey into learning how to practice opening the heart. Listen to podcast number 636 with author Rajane Weininger, Ph.D., MD. You can access her website at www.radhuleweininger.phd.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of uh, Inside Personal Growth. And today joining us from Florida is Gary John Bishop. And Gary is the author of a new book. And I'm going to say this, it's a podcast show. (laughs) It's called Unfuck Yourself, Get Out of Your Head and Into Your Life. Uh, Gary, good day to you. How are you doing? I am outstanding, Greg. um, And thank you for having me on your show. Uh, Well, I appreciate it. And uh, for everybody out there, obviously, this book is uh, in Amazon and all your major booksellers. Uh, You can learn more about Gary by just going to GaryJohnBishop.com. Great website, opportunity to sign up for uh, his newsletters and things. Um, I'm going to let my listeners know a bit about you, Gary. Um, Gary John Bishop is one of the leading personal development experts in the industry. His urban philosophy, quote unquote, approach uh, represents a new wave of personal empowerment and life mastery and has provided miraculous results for people in the quality and performance of their lives. And again, to learn more about Gary, just go to www.garyjohnbishop.com and you'll learn more there. Well, this is a well-designed book. I always like to tell my listeners that, Gary. Um, it's yeah. an easy read. Uh, it isn't difficult to read uh, the style of the book, uh, the large quotes on the side of the pages. It's really just just great, great advice for people. Um, mm, and so you. let's start with let's start with this because you know even in my new book I talk about this. We all have monologues going inside of our heads. We have seventy thousand yeah. plus thoughts a day. Uh, a lot of those recurring thoughts. And our heads are filled with negative self-talk. Um, yeah. And we are, and it can be anything, Gary, as you know, as you say in the book, that we're not good enough, we don't look good enough, we're not born into the right family, uh, I don't have enough money, I can't get out of my own way, whatever that is. Yeah. What do you do with your clients and people that come to your workshops and seminars? How do you recommend shutting off this destructive self-talk? And uh, talk about what you refer into the book as assertive versus narrative. Yeah. Well, uh, I, th- I think there's a lot of different takes on this whole thing of your internal dialogue. Um, one of the things that I've discovered, not only for myself, but through coaching tens of thousands of people in this very 
thing is that the more you kind of try and control it, shape it, or suppress it, it seems to me like the worse it gets. So it seems to get a little, it seems like, you know, I'm kind of checking in with, is it there? How do I make it go away? This is too much. How do I get this to go down or get quieter? All of that seems to be like just, you know, leaving raw salmon at the front door of your bear infested forest. So it seems to like just attract it and grow it and com complicate it. What I say to my clients is, first of all, distinguish it. First of all, see it for what it is. How do I see it for what it is? You'll notice it's it's got a kind of repetitive nature to it. It's a very you kind of internal dialogue. Right, so I mean, I'll use an example of my own my own internal dialogue. Certainly, a part of it is that I'm not smart enough. So it comes up, you know, every day. I don't know, five thousand times seems. Um, I just I've just learned to not do anything with it. I've learned to kind of include it in the journey, which is what I talk about in the book. Is you know, if you if you just give it the room to be itself. You don't have to act on it. I don't have to jump any bed with it. I can just let it have its little bit of space. And if I turn my attention to what I said I was going to work on, I'll notice it will dissipate. It won't be quite as loud. So I've I've learned to cohabit with it, is what I would mm -hmm. say. And then as you talked about this narrative versus assertive kind of speaking. The narrative of your life is a constant stream. It's like your brain's wide open. So the most basic narrative you have is whether you agree or don't agree. So uh, to me, a, a agreement, your agreement or disagreement to something isn't really thinking. It's kind of like more automatic. Um, it's more like the entry level thinking, if you like. But if you if you if you kind of stop for a moment. And you can do this sitting in a chair. Or, but if you stop and you listen to the stream going, it's more this kind of description of current events in your life. So it's all your um, justifications, explanations, your excuses, your reasons, just your description of what's happening. And that includes your description of yourself in a given moment. And a sort of uh, kind of use of language intervenes with your life in a moment of time. So descriptive language is kind of like when I say, I'm going to lose weight, which kind of leaves you in la-la land. You're a little floating around there. It's, no, it's kind of like, I'm going to do it. doesn't really seize this moment of time. And um, particularly if you are out to lose weight and you're presented with a giant cheeseburger that you usually like. I'm going to lose weight. Doesn't seem to make much difference in that moment of time. What makes a difference in that moment is a kind of more grab the bull by the horns kind of statement in that moment. And that's assertive language. That's what it does. It grabs this moment and actually has you, has you positioned in a place with whatever it is you're interacting with. So if I say... Um, I'm not going to eat that. I'm going to eat this instead. Right? Would be a kind of simple example. That's a, that's a demonstration of assertive language where I grab the moment, 
I'm basically declaring what I'm going to what I'm going to do instead of what it is I would usually do. There's we no do. I'm going to. There's no I'm trying. There's no you know. There's right. no kind of wishy washiness about it. Really, is like a moment of your life. And my assertion about all of that is, I think we're all challenged in moments. I don't think we're challenged over long periods of time. We're kind of in and out of it. And that's why I wrote the book. I wrote the book for people to support them in those moments of challenge, like when they feel as if they're most challenged, whether it's with their finances, their body, their relationships, their relationship to themselves. Where do you turn? And I, and I really feel like um, I managed to capture it in the book, like here's where you turn. Right. And I think you did. Uh, and I think it's important to talk about making that assertive statement, especially when that big, juicy uh, cheeseburger is sitting in front of you and you're trying to lose weight. Um, that, yeah. That's a very important way to create positive self-talk. And then I think, right. again, uh, having milestones to say, hey, look, you know, I lost a pound this week. I lost a pound that week. You know, looking at yeah. those things so that you can actually chart uh, your progress. And I, and I yeah. always say to people, um, you can't actually make something happen unless you don't measure it. Right. Especially yeah. if it comes to weight loss or money gain or anything yeah. like that. So you speak about the importance of uh, taking 100 percent responsibility and not playing the blame yeah. game. Um, what is it that you would do to help our listeners out there today that are listening um, get off this destructive path of, yeah. of blame? Right. It's a big one. Oh, he did it. Well, to I me. think she did it to me. The, the, the government I, did it to me. Somebody did it yeah. to me. It's always, you know, well, and, and it can even it can even go the whole other way. Like I'm doing it to myself, mm -hmm. like which doesn't see the I you have to kind of understand. I, well, I believe you have to kind of understand what's going on with me when I'm doing this. So I, I, we I read this study pretty recently that we are hardwired. This was like a neuroscience uh, discovery that, you know, we are hardwired to find the easy route, right? To find the easiest way to interact with life and do things. And to me, the, that kind of, we're calling it the blame game, right? But the blame game is like the easiest way to explain why I'm at where I'm at, right? I mean, it's pretty available to all of us, right? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I have the level of intellect I have because I didn't go to college, right? Um, because college wasn't available to me. It was too expensive. I couldn't afford it. Therefore, that explains why I'm at where I'm at. What we fail to see, I believe we fail to see, is what we're doing to ourselves. So what we're doing to ourselves is we're basically explaining our lives away. And one of my, one of my, can I, philosophers that I find pretty interesting is Martin Heidegger and Heidegger, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically says we'd rather explain our lives than intervene with them. And I, and I feel as if that, that to actually intervene with your life and the quality of your life and what you're doing, you have to step in there from this perspective of responsibility, not responsibility like my life is my fault, but responsibility like I'm the owner, I'm the architect, this is mine. And everything that's happening in it is happening on my watch. And if I, if I fail to do that, if I somehow absolve that responsibility or give that responsibility away to somebody else, I'm in very real terms experiencing myself in one way or another 
as a victim to my wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, true. and, and it's so subtle. It's so, and it, we do it in really, you know, I'm a big fan of a German philosopher, Hans George Gadamer. Gadamer made this really profound connection between the way we talk and the way we experience ourselves. You got to be really responsible for the ways in which you're talking. So the way that you're talking to yourself, the way that you're talking to other people, because in that way that you talk, you are forming your own life experience. See, and it's not semantics, right? This isn't like some kind of argument for the correctness of grammar, but rather, uh, you know, if you look at your life in terms of, well, the way that I interact with my wife is definitely connected to the way that I talk about it. You know, if I talk about something like it's too hard, I'm less likely to do that something. So every time I use the kind of language where somebody else, something else, including some mysterious thing about myself, right, which is one of the great get-out-of-jail-free cars that we have as human beings. Oh, I can't deal with that. Why? It's a mystery to me. I don't know why I do that. Like, if I knew why I'm doing something would actually stop me doing it, which isn't always the case. Sometimes my awareness can expand and I, and I take different actions. But often not. Often, you know, I know why I do things. It doesn't stop me doing them. Yeah, so, and, and, and I would say too, Gary, that um, there is a big element that plays into this, which is around the emotions that we carry. Um, you're right. And those emotions, uh, when coupled with those thoughts, right, because those thoughts propel those emotions, are truly what are actually creating and manifesting for us. So, you know, to it's not just a, it's not just an issue of staying up all the time. And, you know, you talk about this in chapter three, you ask people to reframe their thoughts to imagine even if they were losing in life, that they were actually winning and that everything that happens is a victory. How do you get people to reframe everything as a victory? Uh, Because there's two elements going on here. You're on the goal line or the learning line, right? And the question is, a lot of people go through life and they achieve a lot of goals. Let's face it. You see people make lots of money. They buy big houses. They have great cars. Um, But Mm -hmm. along the way, uh, they've forgotten about what are they actually learning? What are the lessons, right? Um, were okay. the people who pick up and actually learn lessons, which is what you're talking about here. You're saying, hey, look at this as a victory. The lesson, no matter what happened to you, whether it was a, a failure that you had or you didn't quite make the goal, it's the what you learned and what you took away. But it's still a victory, right? Yeah. Well, okay. that's, that's, a, that's part of it. Right. I, there's also a deeper thing at play there, which I'm current, which will be a lot of what the, the, my second book's about. Um, that if you started to relate to your life in terms of what am I setting myself up for, and then you and and you, and you got, this is the part where you got to really set aside your thoughts and examine what you're doing. You got to look at. Pe- my assertion is that people live lives of intention. So I'm doing this, and I'm intending something else. The intention isn't always vocalized. I don't always say it to people or say it out loud. I've kind of got it in mind. But if you, if you, would, if you actually separate that from what you're actually doing, like here's what I'm actually doing, though. My intention is 
for instance, I'll give an example. So I might be in a relationship with somebody, and my intention is that we communicate better. Well, what am I doing? Well, I'm talking to my partner about it. They don't want to talk about that. Occasionally, I raise my voice. We'll argue, and then we won't talk for a while, and then we'll come back together and somehow sort it out temporarily. So what am I actually doing? Well, I'm basically losing my temper with my partner. That's what I'm doing. My intention is that I want us to communicate better. But if I examine my actions, I'll see how it's going. Mm-hmm. Now, what if my actions were actually what I was out to do, really? What if I had some kind of subconscious thing driving me to prove some point about myself, others, or life, that in my actions, the point gets proved? And the point might be, I'm not loved, or I'm not lovable, or real love's bullshit. So then I might subconsciously be, in my, act, in my actions, be winning. Even though it seems like a loss to me, what if that's actually the point of what I'm doing? So in the book, I, I kind of tickle that a little bit without getting into it too deeply. But this is definitely the sort of stuff that I talk to my clients about. I have them look at, what if all of this is all the setup to prove the point of what, you know, you're driven to prove in life? Mm-hmm. What, if you're, what if you're driven to prove that you're not loved, that you're not smart, or you're, and that everything you get yourself into, you know, because we've all, we've all got areas of life where we're acting in ways that we just can't seem to break out of it. Like, why am I doing this? I think if you come at it from the point of what point am I out to prove with what I'm doing here? So I might be writing a book, but not, right? But I'm kind of kind of doing it, but not really. But, I'm, but I tell everybody I'm really passionate about getting my voice out there, but I'm not really doing it. What if the point of that was for me to prove to myself and the universe and whoever else I think might be observing this? that I'm really a hopeless case. What if that's the kind of more the subconscious point I'm out to prove? So if you, if you come at it from that perspective, if you say, well, holy shnikes here, what, you know, if I really do in life, when? Whether, I, whether it's a cognitive win or a subconscious win, I'm always winning. What if I could look at some of those areas where I feel like I'm losing, and you're right, you know, maybe I could learn some lesson there about myself. But what if I actually came to realize, no, I'm winning at the game I'm playing there. And if I'm playing at the game of losing, then I'll win at that. <laughs> Does that no. make sense? It, no, totally makes sense. The challenge is it is a, it's a relatively uh, complex construct of the mind and the soul and the ego and all of the elements in which we are constantly dealing with as you know human souls walking on the planet here right and sometimes we're aware and sometimes we're completely unaware if there's any one thing your book is designed to do is through startling statements and comments and quotes is to create some level of awareness you're actually asking people to question and i think questioning yeah. is one of the things that gets people to take a deeper dive you state that yeah. everything on our plate is just another something in the sea of somethings. So I got a question yeah. for you. What if somebody said to you, hey, Gary, 
what if if I want out of the sea of something? Is there a way out? Well, I think what I, well what I'm pointing to there is that in life there's always something. Right, there is. Right. But sometimes and, people and get I, tired of something. Yeah, <laughs> and and, I mean? and that's that's part of the human resistance of it. Right. Look, if you if you take I mean I've I've coached Buddhist monks in Bangkok. They got a bunch of somethings. I've coached Catholic priests in Ireland. They got a bunch of somethings. Coached politicians in in Colombia. They got a bunch of somethings. What I'm saying there is, no matter what you get yourself into in life, it's going to present you with a very specific kind of issues, problems, and items that that thing would present you with. And if you just thought about it, if you actually sit back and think about it, so if you get married to someone, one of the things you're going to deal with from time to time is, do we get along? Do we agree? Do we see things the same way every time? The answer is more than likely no. Now, there's going to be times and sometimes lots of times where you're not seeing eye to eye on certain items or issues. Sometimes surprisingly, but that's part of being married. As Mm -hmm. I say to my clients, it's the equivalent of applying for a job in Starbucks, working there, and then complaining about the smell of coffee. (laughs) Well, it smells like coffee in Starbucks, right? (laughs) Right. And it doesn't matter what you do in life. If, you're, if you want to get fit, if you want to raise money, if you want to pursue a new career, if you want to start a business, it comes with its own set of items that you'd rather not have. Our resistance to those items, the pushback to those items, actually starts to make it a lot more difficult, a lot more challenging, and a lot more, just a lot more miserable, to be quite honest. Yeah, obviously. And I'm, right, and and I'm just saying, again, look. That- that goes back to it goes back to the blame game because that's the pity party that that, sure. that people get into and that's what you're getting right. them to wake up to look you can keep, yeah. keep reiterating those thoughts whether they be subconscious or conscious but the reality is those thoughts pop up and you've given people in this book an opportunity and ways to find out how to supplant those with better yeah. thoughts and you speak about yeah. Another area, which I think many of these listeners out there are going to, in these times, they could say, hey, the times right now are pretty weird. Speak about addicted to certainty, wanting to predict our stock portfolio, knowing whether the weather Mm -hmm. is going to be good, uh, whatever. How do you help people embrace the uncertainty and not depend on certainty? Because, you know, one thing we know about life, if you've been counseling Buddhist monks and so on, is impermanence nothing's permanent well not uh, neuroscience has also proved this you're not even permanent you persist by virtue of a series of conversations mm-hmm. so even there's no locale in your brain for a you so um all there is is this persistent conversation that you are and have um but no locale if you were to say all right well if you, if you examine your own life, if you look back in your own life, you'll see the greatest things you ever did, ever did, were in the midst of uncertainty. Now, why are we so hungry for certainty, for things to be certain? Um, why we're so hungry for that? 
is because it, it gives us an ability to predict our safety. So what we do better than just about any other species on the face of the planet is this ability to predict what's coming. And we can predict even longer. Right? I mean, we can look out to the seasons and the weather and crops and, you know, certain sights and sounds and, you know, like just the whole way that we interact with life is from this prediction. When you first meet someone and you shake their hand, your brain is feverishly trying to find a place to file that human being so that you can then predict how you should act with this person. If you struggle to file that human being, you'll tend to steer away from them because mm -hmm. you don't know how to be with them. Right. So, but then you don't really get to know anybody new. <laughs> you just get to know everybody that you've ever known. You don't get to know someone newly, as I would say. So then how do I start to, as I talk in the book, about embracing the uncertainty? I start to embrace the uncertainty by, it's like I come a couple of steps back and I realize, look, I've been great with uncertainty in my life. I've actually been awesome with, I've done great things with uncertainty. You might have went to college, you might have started a business, you might have got married, you might have had kids, you might have, you've done pretty dang great with uncertainty. But it's actually an environment in which you can flourish. And in fact, your hunger or your, as I called it, your addiction to certainty is where you'll get stifled and you'll suffocate. You'll actually be, and, it's, and it really is like, for a human being, it's like we're constantly walking that line of this, I don't want to call it a desire, it's more like a compulsion for things to be certain, yet yearning for the new that only exists in uncertainty. The new doesn't exist in uncertainty. The new, the never been before, exists in a realm or a domain of uncertainty. And that's where human beings, I assert, are at their greatest, is in that domain, is when they're, so it's edgy, it's, and don't get me wrong, it's not always comfortable. Right. But it's yeah. where your potential lies. Well, you're, you're out of your comfort zone when you're on uncertainty, and uncertainty, as you say, is usually the spot where great breakthroughs occur. Uh, breakthroughs sure. personally, professionally, uh, everywhere in your life, but as you say, there's we have become a species which is so good at uh, figuring out how to stay safe and comfortable. Mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. you know that is kind of the haven. And to actually go into that level of uncertainty, probably the guys that go into level of uncertainty most are guys that are in the action sport side of things, guys that are jumping off cliffs and mountains. Um, but yeah. they also have to get into a flow state. So let me go there with yeah. you. You state that we're not our thoughts, that we're not defined by what's inside of our head, um, mm -hmm. that we want to do and, and we are our actions. How do you help mm -hmm. people take action toward their dreams and not be afraid of whatever it might be, the loss of time, yeah. the loss of money, the loss of what, yeah. whatever it is or, or, the, or the gain thereof? But I mean, you know, when you really look at this thing, uh, and one of the guys I've interviewed probably more than anybody is Stephen Kotler, uh, the mm -hmm. guy that wrote Rise of, of, of Superman and Abundance and all these great books. You know, these guys, there's certain chemical releases that happen inside the body that actually get you into this element and state of flow to be able to stand up and really face 
that, you know, 60 foot wave or that mountaintop that you're about ready to jump off of or whatever it might yeah. be, or the parachute. So there are certain states that our body get into um, where we are fearless. Well, I, I don't, I, I would say, I would take a different approach. I mean, definitely come from a different approach to that. I think you got to work with fear. I think you got to work with, I mean, you know, and I even quote in the book, you know, Epictetus, a couple other Stoic philosophers who said, you know, if one wants to be courageous, one must act courageously. Now, it didn't say one must feel courageous. And in fact, you know, and I have, I wouldn't say studied, but certainly read of, and I'm familiar with certain people who said in the, in the heat of battle, like there was, there was some people were gripped by fear and acted anyway. Mm -hmm. And other people were just like, and it seemed like their body was devoid of anything, right? Which could be explained. I mean, I guess a neuroscientist, a psychologist, an ontologist, a metaphysicist would all say something different about that state. But I say to people, if, you, if, you're, if you're waiting for your fear to go away, if you're doing work on yourself to handle your fear before you act, it might be a long, 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 long wait. And you before might never you get it done. Before you right. act. Yeah. yeah. Right. And I say to people, the one way, you know, often, I've, and I've worked with a lot of sports people too, and they talk about confidence. So they're working on their confidence. And I say, well, how much are you working on your shot? And they say, well, I'm working on my confidence. I'm reading, I'm meditating. I'm... I said, I got it, but you need to work on your shot. Because in the arising of your shot, you'll experience the confidence that'll come up. And by the way, confidence, very simply put, is that you've, you're now more comfortable with your prediction of how this is going to go. It's more prediction. So I say to people, embrace your fear. Take it on. Practice your fear. It's okay. It's part of being a human being. And if you are someone who is, you do want to do something like write a book or start a company or get married, whatever it might be for you that you feel as if it's a massive step for you in your life, fear's going to be there. It's okay. It's part of being a human being. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I'm not in the game, and I'm really not in the game of trying to manipulate myself to produce results in life. I'm more like an open faucet. I'm just letting it all out and letting myself have it all. I notice it tends to dissipate pretty quickly the more I do it. You know, if I'd, if I'd, I think if I'd worked on my fears in terms of writing my book or this book, I, I would still be, I would still be working out the book. Whereas I just, I just kept including that fear, kept writing, kept including the fear, kept writing. And then, and there were definitely moments in that process where I felt, oh, no, maybe I'll just wait. This is getting too complex. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm out of my depth. And then I just heard that little noise and kept paddling. Yeah. You just keep on moving on, don't you, Gary? That's I, the Well, point. I do. I, I just feel as if, like, you know, I mean, there's a lot of, I love personal development work. I love the uncovering and I love the discovering about myself. I love it. I got to watch out though, and this is, I'm speaking on behalf of myself here, of course, but I got to watch out that I don't get stuck there. Like I, I, if I'm going to, you know, I have, I have a little thing that I say to my clients sometimes. I'll say, if you're really aware of something, like aware of it, it changes the way you act. 
You have yeah. to stop doing what you did before. Correct. If you say you're aware of something and you're still doing the same thing, you're not aware of it. You just know it. Right. And there's and a this... massive difference between knowledge and awareness. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's a good point. And, you know, for my listeners here, Gary, this book is is loaded with lots of great advice. Um, and I would say in all of these personal growth books, including my own, the key is implementing that into your life. And what yeah. you do is, even though the title might be a little shocking to some people, sure. you are trying yeah. to shock people to wake up yeah. and actually apply some of the things that are written in the book to their life so that they do yeah. become aware. And I yeah. want to acknowledge you for that. And that in that respect, the book is well written. Um, it's it actually makes a statement. Uh, but the key, as you and I know, is in the practice. And for as sure. long as people take this and start practicing it, start watching their thoughts, start watching what how they talk to themselves. Just a few of the many things that we've talked about this morning, it'll be a success for us. I want to thank you for being on Inside Personal Growth. And again, for my listeners. Mm -hmm. Um, if you want to learn more about this book, you want to learn more about uh, Gary, go to Gary John Bishop. Pretty easy. Um, just like it sounds dot com. We'll have mm -hmm. a link in the blog to that. Uh, the book is available on Amazon. Again, it's unfuck yourself. Uh, get out of your head and into your life. Gary John Bishop. You'll find that at Amazon and all your good best booksellers. Anything that you want to leave the listeners with today, uh, Gary? Uh, do you have any well, workshops or yeah, seminars or things you're doing or ways you want to get engaged with the, the folks out there? Well, I do have an on, I do have an online program that I'm, I've, I've been running a beta test of it for the last eight months. It'll be kicking off fully on the 1st of January, 2018. It's a year long program. It's called I365. You can find out about it on my website. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, just like a lot of personal development work out there is designed to make real radical lasting change in, in your life, not just in the quality of your life, but in what you're doing and not doing. Um, but I would say this, if, you know, for anybody who's ever considered being coached by me or working with me, you know, I'm, I'm definitely, I can be very confronting to work with because I tend to find if you're, I, I say if, you're, if your ego isn't getting challenged by your coach, you need to find a new coach. So I... I definitely, uh, I definitely make sure that my people are challenged. And, and, and the other thing I'd like to say, Greg, is just really thank you so much for having me on your show. And thank you for the work that you do and your commitment to making a difference for people all over the planet. Well, I appreciate that. I thank you because without authors like yourself and myself and the community that exists out there, which is very, very large, um, everybody, if you really look at it, is most people out here doing this work are trying to help other people. Um, and, and what we're trying to do is we're hoping that we can provide them with solutions without them having to go through pain. But I will say that frequently you have to go through the pain, but then reading a book that reaffirms the fact that, Hey, now I understand why I don't have to repeat it. As long as you don't mm -hmm. repeat it twice, that's the best thing. So, <laughs> but it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much, Gary. Thank you, Greg.